I don't, oh, there we go. Happy Sabbath. Whew, who's excited to be here today? Yes. Hey, man, you know, I've been telling people, um, the first few weeks of this whole thing was a kind of a novelty, you know. Oh, we had to stay home and preach on computer. That's uh, pretty cool, pretty relaxing, but then it just got old after a while. I think, especially being American, um, I, I, I especially missed hearing amen in a sermon. You know what I'm saying? Like when, 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 when the word just, something really hits you and the whole, everybody's like, amen. You don't hear that on a computer. It's just a flat screen. Oh, man, it's good to be back, guys. It's good to be back. God has been good to us, but this has definitely been a crazy year that none of us thought. You know, 2020 came around, and it's like this, this new decade that is unfolding before us. And I remember last year as we were celebrating New Year's and the new decade, everyone with their dreams of what's going to happen in the next decade, and everything was positive and enthusiastic. Um, but it has been a crazy year. It has been a crazy year. I've been seeing all the memes that people, for those of you who don't know what memes are, funny little pictures people share on social media with captions, and um, uh, one of them in particular that I, I thought was pretty funny, I, didn't, I don't have a PowerPoint today because the guys are live streaming, and I didn't want to give them a headache with the, <laughs> with the camera, but uh, one of them, I don't remember exactly how it went, but it was something about, uh, it had some character on, this, on the picture um, crying, and he was basically begging for forgiveness I'm begging 2019 for forgiveness. Like, I'm so sorry. I wanted you to go away. I want you back. Um, it's been a crazy year. I was looking through the news recently, and The Guardian, which is a news, news agency, reports anxiety on the rise due to coronavirus. Now, that's not news to anyone. I think we all get that. Anxiety is on the rise due to coronavirus. is increased stress. They're finding that people are having difficulty sleeping, difficulty concentrating. There's fear of contact with others, fear of public transportation, going into public spaces. The separation things, being separated from your loved ones, that was intense. And the Australian then also reported a projected, estimated, or expected 50% increase in suicide due to coronavirus. And that's just the start. Like Rex said earlier, where's, where's Rex? He's in here somewhere. He stepped, oh, he's, he stepped out, okay. He had a great, I, I really like the shirt he's wearing today. I wanted to tell him I like this shirt. But like he said, the, um, you know, th then we had the, the riots as well that didn't just, you know, it started in America, but then it spread, you know, UK, France, Australia. There's escalating tensions with China. In fact, just this week, the ABC reported that Australia, uh, the, the Morrison government, is to spend $270 billion building a larger military to prepare for, and I quote, a poorer, more dangerous world and the tensions that they are having with the government in China. And so as we look at the world around us right now, it's riddled. It's riddled with the unknown. The social milieu is tense, and people are afraid. And so I just want to ask a real simple question this morning. And before I ask that question, I want to welcome anyone who's watching on live stream as well. Good to have you. Um, 
we we do apologize for the, you know the 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 uh, resolution isn't as high as we had hoped, but we'll we'll make it better for next time. But welcome, glad to have you with us. Here's the question that I want to explore today, guys. Very simple question, and it's this: What should we do when we are afraid? What should we do when we are afraid? Let's pray, Father in heaven, as we spend some time this morning in your word. Our prayer is that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. We're just going to look at a story today. Explore the story and explore what it means for our lives in the here and now. 1 Samuel chapter 28. And when you're there, say, I'm there. Hmm. That was quick. That was quick. All right. Let me catch up to you guys. First Samuel chapter 20. I'm going to read from verse 1. In those days, the story begins like this. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. This is how the story begins. It begins with a milieu that's similar to what we're experiencing here and now. There is political tension Whenever there's political tension, there's economic uncertainty. There's national tension. The news channels are filled with conflicting information. Hasn't that been the most fun part of this whole COVID thing? Like every time you turn on the news, you get a different story. <laughs> you know, this guy says this, that guy says the other. Conflicting information. There's conspiracy theories roaming around. We heard that David has actually joined the Philistines. He's going to fight against Saul. There's a lot of tension at this time in Israel. But now look at verse 3. Now Samuel was dead. I preached a sermon a few, a few months ago about David and after the death of Samuel. This is a different story. Both of them sort of seemed to get worse. You know, it's like Samuel died and things in Israel just kind of began to collapse. Samuel was dead. There is now this spiritual unrest in the nation as well because Samuel had judged Israel faithfully for many years. He was close to God. He was a prophet of God. He's gone. All of this tension is raging between Israel and the Philistines. David is hanging out with the Philistines and Saul is... Saul, verse 5, when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. It's all right to be afraid. COVID has made people very afraid. Economy makes people afraid. I was, I was seeing that uh, September, I think it is, is, September, the government program ends you know, that helps people who've lost work due to the virus. And there's a lot of uncertainty what's going to happen. And, and, you know, fear kind of is a natural response to that. It's normal to be afraid. And I want to say that because, you know, sometimes when you're in faith circles, people act as though if you're afraid, you don't have faith. No, it's normal to be afraid. It's all right to have fear. The question is, what do you do? With that fear. Well, look at what Saul did. Verse 6. 
he inquired of the Lord. Can anyone say amen? He inquired, what a great idea. It's a wonderful idea. He inquired of the Lord. But, but there's a problem. There's a problem here, all right? Here's, here's the problem. Before we go any further, you guys have probably gone, but you're reading the rest of the story, aren't you? I can see you. Look at this. Here's what happens. Saul inquires of the Lord. But let me ask you guys a question. Have, have you ever had a friend who comes to you with a problem and they need advice and they need direction and they need encouragement and so you take the time and you sit down and you pray together and you open the Bible and you, you find some really good counsel and you encourage this friend and then it ends and you're just on a spiritual high because you can see that God's going to do amazing things in this friend's life. And then two days later you get an update that your friend has done the opposite of everything. You guys discuss. Anybody ever go through that before? Am I the only one? I had a, uh, a friend of mine actually last year who was taking, she took a lot of time to counsel and journey with a friend of hers who was going through a divorce. And the lady comes, my marriage is falling apart. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I'm so lost. I need help. I need encouragement. I need prayer. I need, I need advice. And, and they spent hours, you know, praying and reading the Bible and, and worshiping, all these wonderful things. And then literally two days later, she gets an update from her friend that exactly what I just said. She's just done the exact opposite of everything they had talked about. So then her friend comes back. Oh, please help me. I need more prayer. I need more encouragement. I need to know what God wants me to do. Why isn't God answering my prayers? So the friend of mine, bless her soul, she spends more time, hours. A week later, she gets an update. Once again, the lady has done the exact opposite of everything. You know, they were reading through, you know, uh, what's that book? Uh, um, um, slipped my mind all of a sudden. Uh, the Adventist home, you know, and, and reading through scripture and, and praying. Exact opposite of everything. And she comes back with the same story. Please pray for me. I need help. I need and it just kept happening over and over and over again. This is a pale example of Saul. Saul gets directions from Samuel, he does the opposite. Saul gets instructions from God, he does the opposite. Saul gets encouragement, he's, he's, he's made king over Israel by God's decree, and he, what, every step of the way, Saul decides he's going to do his own thing. And so Saul, as the Philistines are invading, the text says, he inquired of the Lord. But he didn't really inquire of the Lord. He was going through the motions, but he wasn't really interested in what God wanted him to do. And so years before, God had actually, through the prophet Samuel, God had actually gotten to the point where he basically said, Saul, what's the point? I'm done talking with you. I'm done. I'm setting some boundaries here in this relationship because every time I give you instructions, you go and you do the opposite. No more. I'm done. I'm giving the kingdom to someone else. 
Now, these boundaries were intended to provoke Saul to repentance and humility, but instead he just kept doing his own thing. The guy was obstinate, rebellious. And in the last few years, before we get to 1 Samuel chapter 28, Saul had spent almost all his kingship. He had wasted his kingship trying to murder David. Because God had appointed David to be the next king of Israel, and Saul wanted the kingship to remain with him. And he had wasted his kingship trying to murder David. Spent money chasing him around. Murdered priests who had helped David during this time. And in doing all of this, he had neglected Israel's defenses. And now the Philistines were there. And in all that time, not once do we get the impression that Saul was open to repenting and reconnecting with God. So the Philistines show up. Saul wants to know what he should do. So he inquires of the Lord. But his heart is still rebellious. So what's the point? So the text goes on to say, Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. See, here's the thing. In Saul's day, and this belief persists today, but in Saul's day, there was a belief among the pagan nations that surrounded Israel that you got the gods to do what you wanted by manipulating them. This is what magic essentially is. The pagan rituals, the the, the, um, the charms and the spells and all of these things, the idea behind them is that you are manipulating the spirit world to bring about something that you want in the physical world. And Saul thought in his mind, you know what? God won't answer me, but if I go through these Israelite rituals, the dreams and the Urim and the prophets, he'll answer me. He was trying to manipulate God, and God is communicating to Samuel, I mean, to, sorry, to Saul. Saul, uh, you cannot exploit me through rituals. And we do that still today. We think that we can earn something or get something out of God if we just do X, Y, and Z. But here's the truth that Saul missed his entire life, and I hope you don't miss it in yours. The truth is this. God isn't interested in your rituals. He's interested in your heart. Notice something interesting here. I want to hone in on this. The text says that God did not answer Saul by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. By the way, if anyone here has forgotten or you've never heard it, Urim was the, the stones that the priests had on their plate. And you ask the question and one of them would glow or the other would glow, yes or no. That's essentially what Urim was. And the text says God didn't answer Saul by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So we can assume, rightfully so, that Saul sought God via dreams, via Urim, and via prophets. But notice what's missing in that list. Saul sought God through dreams. Got nothing. Saul sought God through Urim. Got nothing. Saul sought God through prophets, got nothing. And nowhere in the text does it mention the Bible. 
And you're like, hey, wait a minute, the Bible didn't exist. Yes, it did. The first five books of Moses already existed. Now, I want you to see something interesting. Keep your finger in 1 Samuel 28. All right, don't lose it because we're going to come back here. I want you to come back to Deuteronomy with me. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. So just go backwards, just a few little books. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Check this out. Deuteronomy chapter 17. I'm going to read just a few verses starting in verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18. Now, in Deuteronomy, in this particular chapter, God is giving all these instructions to the nation of Israel. In this particular chapter, there's a little portion that pertains to the king of Israel. And notice what God says in Deuteronomy 17, 18. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, this is the king, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of his law and these decrees. The Bible existed in Saul's time. The books of Moses were already written. And if you read through Deuteronomy, especially if you get to Deuteronomy chapter 20, there's a whole chapter on what to do when you go to war. But Saul bypasses the word. He bypasses God's revelation in the Torah, in the law, in the Bible of his time. He bypasses it, and instead he tries to find God in dreams, and he tries to find God in Urim, and he tries to find God in prophets. But he skips the word. Because in reality, he wasn't all that interested in God's will. Verse 7. Go back to 1 Samuel 28. Go back there. Go back there. Go back to the story. Let's walk through the story. This is a good story. It's about to get, it's about to get weirder. 1 Samuel 28. Verse 7. Then Saul said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I can go and ask her. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy and you read a few verses after what we just read, God specifically says, have nothing to do with mediums and witches and seances and spiritists and all that stuff. But God isn't replying to Saul because Saul's hard-headed and arrogant and rebellious. And so he bypasses the word and says to his attendants, find me a witch. It's interesting. There's another sermon in here somewhere. I'm not going to go down this track. But it's interesting because Samuel had actually told Saul, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And Saul, who had spent his whole life being rebellious against God, now in his final act turns to witchcraft. It's an interesting dynamic. There's a sermon in there somewhere. David, that one's yours for a future date. I'll let you work that one out. Back to the story. 
Saul's not hearing from God. Now, some, some people, you know, I was reading through the story, and I was like, well, maybe it was too late for Saul. Maybe, maybe even if Saul repented, God wasn't going to answer him. But this isn't true. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 676. Ellen White makes very clear. Listen to this. Although his rebellion and obstinacy had wa- well nigh silenced the divine voice in the soul, there was still opportunity for repentance. It was not too late for Saul. But instead of humbly glo- going to the word of God and repenting of his arrogance, Saul comes up with a scheme. And it's a scheme that it don't make a lot of sense if you think about it. It's, it's weird. It's like God won't talk to me and his prophet is dead. So I'm going to go find a witch to call the prophet so I can find out what God wants. I don't know how he connected those dots <laughs> in his head, but that's what he did. He comes up with a scheme instead of turning to God in repentance. In other words, Saul does what he'd always done. He decides to figure it out on his own. And here's the question that I want to continue to wrestle with today in the midst of a pandemic and global riots and economic recession on the horizon. Where do you turn when you're afraid? Fear is a human thing. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. But where do you go for refuge? Saul had developed a pattern in his life. His pattern was if he was afraid, he turned to himself. Some turned to bottle or bar. Some turned to chemicals or substances. Some turned to work or entertainment. Some shut the blinds, locked the door, and hide under the covers. But what I began to discover as I read through the story of Saul is that ultimately when faced with fear, each of us will either turn to God or turn to self. Verse 8, so Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman, consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. Verse 11, I'm skipping to verse 11, then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. Now, again, if he just read the Torah, he would have known, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, don't do that, bro. That's a bad idea. But he wasn't interested in what God wanted. He was relying on himself and his schemes and his ideas and his search for answers to his fear of the invading Philistine army, Saul ultimately turns to himself for the solution. And I ask again, where do you go when you are afraid? Verse 15. The spirit appears. It begins to speak. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? 
Now, this isn't necessarily the focus of today's sermon, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it or else we'd be here longer than, than we should be. But there's a lot of clues in this story that really show that Saul is not speaking with Samuel. And of course, if you take the biblical view of what happens to the soul at death, then it's clear Saul's not speaking to Samuel. Now, I'm not going to let it take a lot of time to unpack that, because like I said, we'd, we'd have two sermons in one. But there are some clues that are really, really obvious. First of all, Samuel is a faithful prophet of God his entire life who lived by the word of God. And the fact that he offers no protest whatsoever to this entire scenario is itself odd. But the spirit comes up. And he starts to talk. Why have you disturbed me? By bringing me up. Saul begins to speak. I'm in great distress. The Philistines are fighting against me. We're still at verse 15 here. And God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Incredible. Because like I said, if you go back to Deuteronomy, there's a whole chapter on what to do when you are at war with your enemies. And notice what the very first verse of that chapter says. Chapter 20, when you go to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, exactly what Saul had seen. This is what is being described in Deuteronomy. When you see that, God says, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt will be with you. But Saul skips the Bible. I think you guys are getting where I'm going with this, aren't you? He skips the Bible. And he goes to this witch to find out what to do. It's obvious what he needed to do. A bit of humility. A bit of repentance. You didn't need a prophet to tell him that. All he had to do was turn to the word that God had already provided for him. But he was too proud. Verse 16, the story continues. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. See, what begins to happen here is Saul, I want you to keep the bird's eye perspective on this story. Saul is afraid. 
And so he comes up with this scheme to resolve his fear, to, to get some answers, to get some direction, to, to figure out what he's supposed to do next. And instead of humbling himself, instead of repenting, instead of turning to God and opening his word, which was already available for him, Saul goes to dreams, and he goes to Urim, and he goes to prophets. And when none of that works, he turns his back completely on God, and he goes to a witch. Instead of seeking God in humility, he relies on himself to find the solution to his fears. And where do you go when you're afraid? Because what now happens is Saul has now placed himself, through self-reliance, he has placed himself within the perimeter of his enemy. And his enemy begins to talk. And his enemy's quoting the Bible. Everything that this spirit has said up to this point is in 1 Samuel chapter 15. He's quoting scripture. And he goes on, verse 18, also in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. Verse 19, the Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. There's another little clue there in verse 19 to sidetrack for a moment where the Spirit says, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. There's a clue there that there's something iffy going on in this scenario, right? Because Samuel, having been a faithful servant of God, if we, if we go down this trajectory, would have been in the presence of God. But Saul, having been rebellious up to this point, would obviously end up in the other place. But the Spirit says, you're going to be with me. Something really iffy going on there. Let me get back to the story. Notice that in this entire message, there isn't one ounce of hope. Now, look, I know Saul was a scoundrel, but so was Manasseh. He made the streets of Israel run red with blood, and God redeemed him. So was Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament, who became Paul the apostle. There's always hope. But this vision that Saul sees offers nothing but despair. Because by turning away from God and seeking himself as the solution to his problems, Saul placed himself exactly where Satan wanted him. Verse 20, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground filled with fear because of Samuel's words. He was trying to resolve the fear, and he ended up with more fear. He had just committed the greatest error of his messed up life. Instead of humbly trusting in God, he trusted in himself, and now everything comes crashing down. I want to ask again, what do you do when you are afraid? when the news keeps talking about pandemics and riots and recessions, when everything you once thought was secure is exposed as fragile and weak. Are you like Saul? 
Do you try and solve the problems with your own schemes, with your own ideas, with your own hands? Do you seek for answers where God has not revealed himself, all the while overlooking the place where he has revealed himself? Do you spend hours? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm about to get in trouble. Oh. Why did I write this sentence on the manuscript? See, here's the thing. I've noticed this tendency that concerns me as a, as a pastor, as a Christian. When stuff starts to go awry in the world, there's this trend within the church of people who, who they, they, they don't go here. They don't turn here. They don't open their Bibles. They don't get on their knees. They don't humble themselves. They don't pray. Instead, they just go on YouTube and find whatever conspiracy video they can find to quote-unquote inform themselves. And they say, oh, pastor, but it quotes lots of Bible verses. So did the spirit that spoke to Samuel. And when they're done, they're filled with more fear than they were before. Because instead of saying, you know what, everything I need to get through the fear is right here. They rely on themselves. And their own ideas. Feeding their minds information filled with cynicism and despondency and fear. And look, you know. I'm not here to tell you what to watch. That's none of my business. What I want to do is encourage you. Whenever you are afraid, everything you need is here. You can turn. You can open this book. You can read this book. You can get on your knees. You can pray. You can cry out to God. You can humble your heart. And God will give you hope. Now, the story of Saul ends pretty tragically. If you go forward to Saul, uh, we're in 1 Samuel. Go over to chapter 31. I'm almost done here. I want to start wrapping this up. But chapter 31, the battle takes place. Now, here's the thing. Um, when I was a soldier, one of the things that you learn as a soldier is you, you, you learn hand-to-hand -hand combat. You learn how to, you know, punch people and things like that. And... All of which I've since forgotten, guys. It's been a long time, all right? <laughs> but the interesting thing is when you are learning hand-to-hand -hand combat, and this happens a lot in boxing and combat sports like the UFC, when you are learning hand-to-hand -hand combat and you are going up against an opponent, there is a common psychological hack called trash talking. Has anyone ever heard of that? The idea behind trash talking is that if you can get in your opponent's head, you can beat them before you get in the ring. If you can make them doubt themselves, if you can make them angry, if you can make them frustrated, if you can take away their concentration by talking lots of garbage, by the time they step in the ring with you, they have already lost. All you have to do is make it official. Saul placed himself in the company of the universe's greatest trash talker. And by the time he showed up to battle with the Philistines, he was done. And the story tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 31 that he was wounded during the battle. And he said to his armor bearer, verse 4, draw your sword and run me through. 
or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But the armor bearer was terrified and wouldn't do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. It's a tragic ending to the story of a man with so much promise, all because he relied on himself and not on God. All right, I'm wrapping up now. We're going we're gonna to end this with something good, though, okay? Don't worry. You're like, oh, man, this is depressing. No, we're, we're headed somewhere good here. See, because after Saul, after Saul, there was another king, another king who sat on the throne of Israel, and his name was David, and David was surrounded by the same dramas that Saul had. He was surrounded by Philistines that wanted to destroy him. He was surrounded by enemies within and without. He had the same fears, the same troubles, but there was one difference. David put his trust in the Lord. Now I want you to turn, last time for today, go to the book of Psalms, page 121. Psalms 121. A Psalm of David. Psalm most of us have, I'm sure, heard at least 10 times. A psalm that reveals in stark contrast the difference between David and Saul. Psalms 121, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Ooh, you guys know this one. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. Verse 3. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. There might be a virus floating around. There might be economic recession on the horizon, even war. But verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Where do you go when you're afraid? This morning, I just wanted to remind you, go to Jesus. You don't need to solve your own problems. You don't need to secure your own future. You don't need to live in fear If you go to Jesus, you're safe. Father in heaven, Lord, the life of Saul is tragic, but it's also a lesson for us to learn, even in the quiet moments, to trust in you. Not in ourselves, 
not in our schemes or our ingenuity, not in our intelligence or our strength or our resources, but to trust in you. Had Saul humbled himself, had he opened your word, had he sought you, that story would be so different. But Lord, here we are today. We can't do anything about Saul's story, but we can do something about our stories, my story. I can choose today, Lord, I repent of my self-reliance. Help me to trust in you. Like King David, Lord, teach me to turn to you, to see you as my true help, as my true fortress, as my true strength. That in the middle of fear and uncertainty and tension and chaos, that I can turn to you and find refuge and hope. May this word, this book, be the place that we turn, Lord, when we are afraid, when we are filled with uncertainties and doubts, teach us today and every day to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end by singing a final hymn, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. Um, and I hope as we sing the words of this that it's a, another reminder for us, um, as Marcos said, that our faith has a firm foundation in knowing that Jesus died for us. Um, if everybody wants to stand and join us in singing.
As we close this morning, I just uh, want to remind everyone as we exit to try and avoid congregating in the, the little area back there just because of physical distancing. It was awesome seeing you guys again and being here with each of you. Please don't run off. Hang out at the front, chat, catch up. And if anyone would like special prayer, I'll be here with David and we'll be happy to pray for you. Let's pray now. Father, as we leave this place, we know we don't leave your presence. You're with us everywhere we go. Shine through us as well. Wherever we set foot this week, whoever we encounter this week, may they see your hope flooding through us. Keep us safe and bring us back together next week. In Jesus' name, amen.